We are in the season of Advent, week two of the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And that's why we lit the second Advent candle this morning. As the Stadley family reminded us this morning, the word Advent means coming. It refers to the coming of Messiah, the rescuer king God promised to send to his people. The one that we know of as Jesus, the son of God who became one of us. The season of Advent is intended to be a time of anticipation and preparation. Now, in a sense, this happens to us whether we like it or not, because everything around us is trying to get us to anticipate and prepare for Christmas. A couple weeks ago, I asked some of our youth group students when they thought it was appropriate to start playing Christmas music, and they told me Halloween. Now, I cannot get on board with that, but I do understand where they're coming from, By the time Halloween is over, all the stores are pushing Christmas pretty hard. I guess that we could call that anticipation and preparation for Christmas. But of course, what retailers are focused on is not what Advent is focused on. Retailers want us uh, to help us anticipate and prepare for lights and parties and gifts. Advent wants to help us anticipate and prepare for the coming of Jesus. Now, this is anticipation and preparation that is both backward and forward-looking. Jesus has already come once. It's why we celebrate Christmas. He's coming as a baby so that he could live among us. But Advent is also intended to remind us that he's promised to come again. Though he is with his Father in heaven now, a day is coming when he will come again to claim all those who belong to him and to finally and forever fix our beautiful but broken world. Advent invites us to look both backward and forward, reminding us that we live in the in-between time, the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, his first Advent and his second advent. Now, life is full and it's busy. And for every success, there's also setback. For every joy, there is also sorrow. And in the midst of all of this, it is easy for us to forget who we are and who it is that we are waiting for. The season of Advent invites us to remember what really matters and where we can find the hope and the peace that we all long for. The Gospel of Matthew describes the birth of Jesus this way, the first advent. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew writes, 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew is claiming that the birth of Jesus fulfills a prophecy that was made some 800 years before it happened. A prophecy preserved for us in Scripture from the prophet Isaiah. This Advent season, we are going to learn more about the prophet Isaiah. This week, we're going to see how Isaiah became a prophet. And then next week, we're going to look at this particular prophecy that he gave that predicted the birth of Jesus. Here you have a Bible. I want to invite you to open up to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you or an app, um, grab one of those red Bibles, and we're going to be on page 1069 in the red Bibles. Isaiah 6. Now, Isaiah was a prophet. That is a word that can mean different things to different people, of course. But in the Bible, a prophet is someone who receives a message from God, a message that God has given to him or to her to then give to other people. Sometimes this would involve future telling, predicting future events, like the one that Matthew quotes. But more often, the prophet's role is to warn people and to call them back into right relationship with God. Prophets were people who really knew the scriptures and they could see from scripture what was going to happen, either good or bad, if people continued on the course that they were currently on. And so that meant a lot of their messages involved warnings. But other times, they had messages that were meant to inspire hope. Reminders to God's people that no matter what happened, no matter how things, how bad things might seem to get, God's great unstoppable plan to rescue and to redeem a people for himself was still going to come to pass. The prophet Isaiah spoke many warnings, but also had many messages of hope. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. When Isaiah was born... Uzziah was king of Judah. King Uzziah was one of Judah's good kings. He was a descendant of King David, and he ruled in Jerusalem for more than 50 years. That's a really long time. But during Uzziah's reign, the nation of Assyria began to grow stronger and stronger. And as a rising power in their region, the Assyrians became a growing threat to both the northern kingdom of Israel as well as the southern kingdom of Judah, which is the one that King Uzziah ruled. Well, Uzziah, King Uzziah, eventually he died. He was afflicted by both age and leprosy. And so after such a long reign under a single king, his death then, of course, created all sorts of uncertainty and anxiety for his people, including for Isaiah. Uzziah's heir, his son Jotham, was somewhat untested. And then Assyria, of course, was threatening their borders. And so the people wondered, would Jotham be able to lead us well? Would he remain faithful to God, or would he turn towards idolatry like so many of the kings to the north had done? 
What, was, what would the future hold for us, for the people of Judah, for Isaiah, and for Isaiah's family? You know, we're far removed from Isaiah in time and distance and circumstance, but we are also familiar with uncertainty. Even as we're surrounded by all the lights and all the upbeat music that comes with Christmas, many of us are still familiar with the experience of anxiety. I would guess that if we were to do a survey this morning of all of you here, that there are some of you who might tell me about uncertainty and anxiety that you are feeling about the direction of our nation and about the abilities of those who would lead or want to lead us. You might tell me about uncertainty and anxiety that you're feeling about your health, about your job, about your finances. You might tell me about uncertainty and anxiety that you are feeling about your children or about your grandchildren, about their futures, maybe about some of the decisions that you see them making even now. And this kind of uncertainty, this kind of anxiety, it can be very stressful. It can be very exhausting. It can even be soul-crushing at times. And it can certainly rob us of our joy. And it can make us wonder whether there really is any reason to hope for the future. Now, we don't know for sure, but it might well have just been this kind of uncertainty and anxiety that compelled Isaiah to go to the temple one day. Maybe he went there in order to pray. Maybe he went there in order to offer a sacrifice. Maybe he went there because he wanted to talk to a priest. Whatever his reason, whatever his expectations were when he went, Isaiah describes for us what happened. He describes it in his own words. It's Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah describes how God came to him in his time of need. Season of Advent, it's all about the coming of God. God coming to us in our time of need. And that's exactly what God does here for Isaiah. Because even as Isaiah's earthly king Uzziah is dead, and all this uncertainty that then surrounded that, that then was created. In that moment, God comes to Isaiah and reveals himself to Isaiah as the true king over the entire universe. He appears to Isaiah seated on a throne, high and exalted. His robes, they fill the temple. He's surrounded like a king with attendants. The Bible calls them seraphim, literally burning ones. These are angels wrapped in fire. 
And with downfolded wings covering their feet, upfolded wings covering their eyes, they would have appeared as flames surrounding his divine throne, declaring him to be the almighty Lord, the thrice holy God. And their praises shaking the very foundations of the temple as Isaiah was standing there. And whatever uncertainty Isaiah may have had then about the future, whatever fears he may have had about Assyria's ambitions, it would have been immediately clear to him that they were going to be no match for the one who is the true king over all of creation. What is going to come is going to come, but nothing is going to be able to dislodge this true king from his universal throne. And so in Isaiah's time of need... God came to him in order to show Isaiah that even now he had nothing to fear. But whatever this comfort brought to Isaiah, it also revealed another seemingly impossible problem. Because while God is perfectly holy and good, Isaiah could see more clearly than ever that he was not. And it almost undid him. Look at verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I, love, I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so this firsthand experience of God's divine beauty and power causes Isaiah to despair. Standing in the holy, perfect, sinless presence of Yahweh himself, Isaiah is more fully aware of his own sin and brokenness than ever before. And frankly, the same thing happens to us. The closer and closer that we draw near to God, the more aware we become of our own sin and brokenness and frailty. And Isaiah fully expects that God's holiness is going to be his undoing. I mean, how can it do anything but destroy him? And when one of the seraphim begins to approach him with a flaming coal in hand, Isaiah must have thought that he was about to be consumed by this divine fire. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. But that is not why God had come. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. God came to Isaiah in his time of need in order to cleanse him, to take away his guilt, to atone for his sins. The holiness of God in which there is no sin becomes the means by which he removes Isaiah's sin. Now, how, how this can work is, is a mystery that, that would not become clear until centuries later on a hill outside of Jerusalem. But what is apparent even here is that God comes to us so that he can remove our sin and our brokenness. Well, now God has comforted and cleansed Isaiah, but God is not done with Isaiah yet. He didn't come just to give Isaiah comfort and cleansing. God also came to give Isaiah's life new significance 
and meaning. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, who will be my prophet? And I, Isaiah, said, here am I, send me. And this is when Isaiah became a prophet of the Most High God. So God came to Isaiah in order to bring significance and meaning to his life. He didn't come just to comfort him or just to cleanse him or just to atone for his sins. God also came in order to give Isaiah a message and a mission, which then brought new and better significance and meaning to Isaiah's life. Isaiah's mission was to share the message that God gave to him for the people as the prophet. And here is the message that Isaiah was to give them. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah became that mouth. Those verses are the very heart of Isaiah's message from God for the people. God comes to us in order to give significance and meaning to our lives. Now, it should be noted that significance and meaning are not the same thing as success. It's very possible to have one without having the other. One can have great financial success, yet still lack significance and meaning. Likewise, one can have very little apparent success, and yet still live a life full of significance and meaning. In fact, that would turn out to be Isaiah's experience because despite Isaiah's faithfulness in proclaiming God's message to the people, they would not listen to him. In fact, if you read the rest of chapter 6, if you continue reading there where I left off, you are going to see that even as God makes Isaiah his prophet, God also warns Isaiah that the people are not going to listen to him. But even so, he is to keep speaking to them for as long as he can. And that may sound like failure to us. Except that, of course, almost 3,000 years later, we're still talking about him. And his words, though ancient, are still being used by God to continue to speak to us today. The story of Isaiah reminds us that our God is one who comes to us in our time of need. He's willing to meet us wherever it is that we're at in order to bring us comfort, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us us significance and meaning. God comes to us in order to bring us hope. There's more than one way to think about hope. We can think of hope as really little more than just desire, a desire for certain things to happen. In a sense, in that sense anyway, hope is is kind of just like making a wish. 
But that's not how the Bible talks about hope. In the Bible, hope is the confident expectancy that things are not always going to be like they are right now. That no matter what our circumstance, no matter what our situation, no matter what uncertainty or anxiety that we may be experiencing right now, we can be confident that good will come to us from the God who is active and present in our world and in our lives. And that is exactly Isaiah's hope. That is the prophet's hope. And this can also be our hope. Because we have a God who has shown us again and again and again that he is willing to come to us in our time of need. He comes to us as the true king who is sovereign over all things. He comes to us as the one who can bring cleansing and forgiveness. He comes to us in order to give our lives significance and meaning. And not just in the life to come, but also in our lives here and now. And so my prayer for all of us this Advent season is that you would see and that you would experience and that you would remember that no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance might be today, you have reason for hope. Because we have a God who comes to us. Let me pray. Father, we praise and worship you for your glory, for your holiness, and for your power. Thank you for being a God who comes to us as the one who is sovereign over all things. Thank you for your commitment to your great unstoppable plan to make a people for yourself and for inviting us to be part of that plan. Jesus, we pledge our love and loyalty to you as our true rescuer, King. Thank you for coming in order to become one of us. Show us, in order to show us how to really live and then to die in our place for our sins so that our guilt is taken away and that our sins are atoned for. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for coming to indwell us when we first pledged love and loyalty to Jesus. Remind us of the true indestructible hope that we have in you, no matter what may come, no matter what it is that we might face. Fill us with your presence and your power so that we can live faithful, significant lives in this beautiful but broken world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.